Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for this show comes from Alpine Bank. 50 years young, 20 years green. Proud to support Parched from Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about Alpine Bank's history of community service and its green team at alpinebank.com. Support for Parched comes from the Grand Canyon Trust, dedicated to safeguarding the lands and waters of the Colorado Plateau since 1985 and working to protect the region for future generations. Learn more at grandcanyontrust.org. Where Arizona and Nevada meet, it's hot and it's dry. Our car is winding through red and yellow canyons. Pale green scrub bushes sit on top of more yellow and brown dirt. Tucked in these canyons is one of the seven wonders of the industrial world. We're about 11 miles out from Hoover Dam. I've heard a lot about how incredible it is to see it in person, just how massive it is. Hoover Dam is a legit engineering feat. When it was finished, it was the biggest concrete structure people had ever built. This gigantic concrete wall crosses a canyon to hold back the Colorado River. It produces electricity and harnesses water so people can live and survive throughout the southwestern U.S. It means people can drink, shower, grow food, and work in some of the hottest and driest places in the country. Okay, now we're driving through lots of power lines. For decades, it has fulfilled that promise. Hoover Dam generates power for more than a million people, and it creates the biggest human-made pool of water in the country, Lake Mead. It's our water savings, just like you want to keep money in the bank. All the states, from Wyoming to California, made an agreement to keep water in Lake Mead as a bank, to use when not enough water comes down the Colorado River. It's the biggest pool of savings we have. That's why I wanted to see this for myself. Oh, wow. So we're like, we're driving down into the canyon. This is crazy. Wow. We're under that big, iconic bridge, and that thing is massive. I've seen photos, and they definitely do not do that justice. Millions of people, like me, come here every year to walk along the dam and gawk at how big it is. But seeing it for the first time on this hot day last October, it looks kind of ridiculous to me. This 700-foot-tall marvel of steel and concrete and Western ambition is holding up much less water than it once did. Today, I can see parts of this concrete wall that had disappeared in the 1940s as the canyon filled up with water. People thought they'd never see these parts of the wall again. 
This marvel of engineering almost looks silly. It does not need to be this big anymore. Now tourists are here gawking at the low water levels. It's so nice to meet you. We are here to work on a podcast about the Colorado River. I walk up to Alicia Guzman, who's here with her brother and niece. She has sunglasses on against the glare. We're both sweltering, even though it's October. you want to chat with me? Cool. Have you been here before? Yes, I have. Actually, I started coming here, oh my gosh, since I was 18. So I won't tell you how many years ago. (laughs) But I was just telling them how... uh, concerning it is nowadays with the, the historical low levels of this lake. It is very concerning. Yeah, so you've been coming here since you were 18 and now you're seeing these levels and it's it's got you a little, uh, little freaked out? Yes, definitely, definitely. Since we were coming down through Boulder City, I could see there's some islands that I didn't see before. And that is like, oh my gosh, it's like, really, really concerning. It's scary, actually. It's very scary. The water in the reservoir has been dropping quickly over the past several years. It's scary for Alicia because she lives in Phoenix. This is like essentially your drinking water source. Exactly. Yes. So I was telling my family right now, don't take long showers. (laughs) Start saving. You know, that's why there's so much talk about, you know, saving water. And now we're seeing it, you know. I mean, I had already seen I was here maybe two, three months ago. And I thought it was low back then. And now it seems like it's just lower every, every time I pass by here. And it's only a matter of a couple of months that I was here. So you were here only a couple months ago and then you're here again today. Is it just you wanted to show your family or? I can just remember going back to 30 years ago when this was full of water and it was you know, amazing. I was even a little bit back then, I was even a little bit scared you know, to see all this water and, you know, the big walls and how heavy the water was. And I'm like, I wonder if the walls are strong enough to hold that water. And now it's like, where's the water? <laughs> now the concern is not the walls anymore, it's the water level. So, <laughs> you know, you know, the only thing that makes me happy about this situation is that I lived, I to have seen the good levels of water. So that is amazing. I saw when it was good. (laughs) And something your niece did not get to see. Exactly. How does that make you feel, knowing that she hasn't seen that and might never see that? Well, sad. It's It's sad that our youth would never get to see what we saw. It's just one of the many things that they'll never see. From CPR News, this is Parched, a podcast about people who rely on the river that shaped the West and have ideas to save it. I'm Michael Elizabeth Sackis. You may know there's a water crisis right now. It persists even with all the snow in the Rockies this winter and all the rain in California. We've been in a drought for more than 20 years in the Southwest, and it's adding up to be a big problem. But you may not really know what it means for you or your state or tribe, whether or not you live in this region, like I do. I'm going to take you on a journey on this show to see what the drought and the historically low water in our reservoirs means 
for you and for me, and most importantly, what we can do about it. And in this first episode, I'm wondering, exactly how screwed are we? Hoover Dam and its reservoir, Lake Mead, where I met Alicia, are kind of ground zero right now for the West's water problems. Lake Mead in particular, this is near Las Vegas, is showing the dramatic effect of falling water levels. And it's now giving up many of its formerly submerged secrets, including another set of human remains. People have found bodies that were thrown or drowned in Lake Mead who knows when. Those images are dramatic, but they're not what makes Lake Mead really important to most of us. What makes it important is that it's the biggest pool of water savings we have. And when you don't have enough water, it gets cut off. That's not some far out fear. Listen to these folks from Rio Verde Foothills in Arizona. Their water got cut off this year. They talked to 12 News. Imagine, if you will, camping in your own home. This is our forever home. I'm, you know, coming up my retirement age. We need water now. Within a matter of days, our water tanks at our homes will be dry. They still don't have a water source. For most of us, when we turn on our faucets, water still comes out. Hopefully that won't change anytime soon. But if we want that to be true for our grandkids... We're at the point where we need to think more seriously about our survival in the Southwest. Rio Verde Foothills is one of the first, but it won't be the last. This mega drought is forcing us to change. And the pace of that change is picking up. It's changing our landscapes, our lawns and how and where we get outside, It'll dictate where we can build new homes, what those homes are worth, and where companies and their employees can be. This drought will change what we eat, where our food comes from. All of these changes have already started. A large part of the Phoenix metro is growing faster than the water supply that's needed to support that growth. Schofield in central Utah has run out of water and is having water trucked in. City leaders in Oakley decided to halt new construction a few months ago. Now dozens of permits are just waiting. We have to make sure there's water for the existing people in town. Starting right now, communities across Washington County are tearing out more than 100,000 square feet of grass because of the drought. We're identifying acres and acres of turf that we're going to be removing. The lack of water has dried up business for some area farmers. The 40 million of us who rely on the Colorado River are seeing climate change in action right now. We're among the first when it comes to a massive water system like this, especially in the U.S. That means that what happens here doesn't just affect us, it matters to everybody. Our dilemma is a predictor of what other parts of the U.S. and the world will face next. So what can we do about it? In this podcast, we'll untangle some of the best and boldest ideas to bolster our water supplies. We'll meet people doing things so we can continue to live in the West as it dries out. And if we're going to figure our way out of this water crisis, we need to understand where our water comes from. I'm not talking about Lake Mead. 
that giant pool gets its water from high, high up in what's basically my backyard in the Rockies. In the quiet week just before New Year's, my editor Aaron and my producer Emily and I roll up a snowy road deep in the Colorado mountains. We've been driving for probably about 30 minutes since we hit the borders of Rocky Mountain National Park, and it's just been lots of snow, really pretty trees with snow glistening on their their needles, and snow is starting to fall from the sky a little bit, and here we are. We just pulled up at the parking lot of the, the trailhead to the Colorado River. The trail is packed down. Evergreen trees tower over us on either side. We're up 9,000 feet. It feels like we're an illustration in a fairy tale book right now. <laughs> over the river and through the woods, to grandmother's house we go. Something about a sleigh and something else. <laughs> that is what's in my head right now as we trudge through the snow. And we just crossed a bridge. In the spring, when this snow melts, it'll tumble down the mountain and then spread out into other rivers. In Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, in the booming cities and fields in Arizona and Nevada, people will use it. The water will keep going all the way to California and Mexico. It'll nourish the farms where so much of our food grows. But before any of that, right now, It's just fresh snow. My extremely dignified editor, Erin, wants a more hands-on experience. I will now be tasting this snow. It tastes delicious. (laughs) Very fresh. Very snow-like. Very (laughs) fresh and snow-like. I'm going to taste it. (laughs) I feel like Ralphie (laughs) sticking my tongue (laughs) on a metal pole. Mm, No, I mean refreshing. I've tasted a lot of snow. It doesn't taste dirty. (laughs) It's so fluffy. Like it looks like that, like the fake plastic snow that they sprinkle on displays and windows of shopping centers. Then we see a trickle. And it's not the mighty Colorado River you might imagine. The Colorado River carved the Grand Canyon, for goodness sakes. But up here, where it starts, we're looking at a teeny tiny stream hidden under ice. We are on a wooden bridge with the Colorado River flowing underneath it. But even putting the word flowing to it feels like that's just too much. When you look around, If you're really quiet, you can hear just the slightest amount of river bubbling. The river that will support life all the way down to Mexico. This spot is where it all begins. I love to walk and find trails like this. I love Colorado. I love road trips here, and I love how large everything feels. The drought has made some people question whether we should get to live in the West, since it is so dry. And so many people are vying for the same water. I'm one of the people that conversation is being had about. 
but I can't really imagine living anywhere else. I don't want to. I want to figure out how we can keep living here indefinitely, even though parts of it are naturally a desert. It turns out that even though the river starts in Colorado, the solutions start at that giant pool of water with the savings in our collective bank account. After the break, back to Lake Mead to meet one of the people trying to stave off the water crisis. Hi, I'm Rebecca Romberg. I help make this podcast and lots of other shows at Colorado Public Radio. If you're enjoying Parched and you're thinking about what to listen to next, we've got some suggestions. Terra Firma explores the great outdoors. Robin's song is the sound my great-grandmothers and their great-grandmothers knew. Ghost Train looks at how to make public transportation work better. If we really want a better city, a better world, we have to change. My Story So Far is a podcast where people share their personal stories live and on stage. I don't want to bash my father's cooking, but there was no enchiladas, there was no rice, not even any beans. Like, come on. Find these shows in your favorite podcast app or visit CPR.org slash podcasts. Support for this show comes from Alpine Bank. 50 years young, 20 years green. Proud to support Parched from Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about Alpine Bank's history of community service and its green team at alpinebank.com. Support for Parched comes from the Grand Canyon Trust, dedicated to safeguarding the lands and waters of the Colorado Plateau since 1985 and working to protect the region for future generations. Learn more at grandcanyontrust.org. Okay, we're back at Lake Mead. Around the reservoir, there's yellow and red rock everywhere. I'm standing out here to meet the number two person in charge of water for Southern Nevada, Colby Pellegrino. Do people ever point out that Pellegrino is a fun name for someone who works in water? (laughs) It has been pointed out before that it's a unique name for the position that I hold. (laughs) Colby Pellegrino is confident but understated. Her job is big. Millions of people count on her to keep giving them water. But no biggie, she rolls up to this interview in her own minivan. So we're on the banks of Lake Mead. Um, We actually sit in an area called Saddle Island, which is no longer an island. (laughs) This hasn't actually been an island since at least 2009. The water has receded enough that now it's just an extension of the rock. That kind of change is a problem for Colby and for Las Vegas, where she lives about 45 minutes away. No big city is as dependent on the Colorado River as Las Vegas is. It gets nearly all of its water from here, in Lake Mead. Las Vegas could not exist without the ability to deliver water from Lake Mead to the Las Vegas Valley. If anyone knows how urgent our water problems are, it's Vegas and it's Colby. They've been able to take big steps to make sure it has water for the long term. I came to find out how, 
So I think the big goal for my career at Southern Nevada Water Authority is to ensure that the people and businesses in our community continue to thrive despite all of the water supply issues that there are on the Colorado River. She's on a mission to save life in the Southwest. You have two kids. How much do you think about them when it comes to your work? Oh, I think about my kids a lot. I was born and raised in this community. I am a homeowner here. I'm a PTA member. My kids participate in sports. You know, uh, we are through and through a Las Vegas family. And I think what's rewarding about this job is that it's setting up Las Vegas for the future. And maybe I don't think about my kids every moment in that, but I do think that should they choose to live their life here, uh, I want to make sure that it's a livable, sustainable place to be. She loves this place. It's the only city she can call home. My dad uh, was a teacher. My mom was a real estate agent. We didn't necessarily have ties to the Strip or the resort corridor. I think it was very akin to other kids in other communities where, you know, yeah, I live in the Washington, D.C. area, but I don't go walk the National Mall every week. Las Vegas was a place that was sort of filled with recreational opportunities. Lots of hiking out at Red Rock, lots of boating at Lake Mead. Colby remembers that when she was growing up, it was hot during the day, like it is today, and then at night it would get cooler. Now, though? Particularly in recent times, Definitely feel the warm temperatures extending, you know, like still at the beginning of October and we're in the 90s. I always remember Halloween being like the first really chilly need to wear your sweats, you know, make sure you get a Halloween costume that goes okay with a sweatshirt or that you can throw on a pair of sweatpants. Now my kids are like, mom, why do I have a Halloween costume with pants on? It's so hot out. Colby was into science and math in high school and she got picked for a program to study water quality in the area. She got pulled out of class sometimes to go collect water samples. I started interning at the Water Authority when I was a sophomore in college. I've kind of always been interested in water. You know, had a boat on Lake Mead as a child, so certainly saw Lake Mead fuller than full. Yeah, what is it like now seeing Lake Mead as low as you've ever seen it? Like, what feelings come up when you look out there? You know, we talk a lot about how much Lake Mead has moved vertically, you know, 170 feet or whatever the number is for how much we've dropped. But you don't really think of how much that means horizontally until you stand somewhere that used to be underwater and you realize you've got a mile to walk until you hit the water's edge. I think that's where it kind of hits you the most of how much water has gone away. As Colby has gone from a kid in Halloween costumes to a mom who picks them out for her kids, her city and the area around it have grown up too. When I was born, there were 300,000 people living in Las Vegas. Now there's 2.3 million. All of those people use this water source. So our problem now is that while less water comes down the river, more people want to use it. Just like Vegas, 
Denver, Santa Fe, Phoenix have all exploded. This whole region is real estate hot and hot hot. And while the Colorado River doesn't actually touch any of these cities, Colby explains they're some of the many that pipe water in from the river. Most of the cities on the West Coast would not exist without water supply importation. Everything from Santa Barbara to San Diego would not exist without water supply importation. That's sort of the story of the West, is moving water around in order to, you know, create these metropolitan areas that we inhabit. While we're all waking up to the fact that there's so much less water to move around to grow our cities and farms, for Colby, this isn't new. She started working at the Water Authority right after the mega drought that we're in started to get really bad in 2002. Nevada used more than its share of the Colorado River, while at the same time, there wasn't as much water coming down the river. And so that year that our use really jumped in 2002, I think was a wake-up call for everyone. Because if you use too much and less comes in, eventually you're going to run out of water. That's what we're seeing right now. Back then, Colby made models to show how climate change would affect how much water the Colorado River would have. She saw the disaster we face today coming. For decades now, Las Vegas has drawn water from Lake Mead through two straws, two pumping stations. It pipes the water across the desert to the metropolis of Vegas. These straws made it possible for Vegas to grow so big. But when Colby and her colleagues made the model, they realized that one day, if the water kept dropping, the straws wouldn't reach low enough in the lake to pull out water anymore. And now, decades later, her prediction has come true. That infrastructure at elevation 1050 is actually out of the water now. You can see it. It's inoperable. Years ago, when they saw this coming, the possibility of this happening was obviously very scary. They had to come up with a way to keep delivering water to Las Vegas, even if the lake dropped below the straws. So in 2005, the Southern Nevada Water Authority decided to build a third straw to reach way deeper in the lake. It would tunnel sideways instead of dipping in from above. It was a race against time. They needed to finish it before their water source went away. In 2020, after 15 years, they finished the last part, the pumping station for this third straw. Today, out on the island that's not an island anymore, I see shiny metal pumps in neat rows. Is this really one of the largest engineering projects in the world? It is. Um, when you look at the complexity, the dollar amount, there's quite a few world records um, that were broken on it in terms of pumping size and distance that was used. Certainly some tunneling feats uh, with the depth uh, and the amount of water above us. Building this last straw into the reservoir and the pumps to go with it cost a billion and a half dollars. They turned on the new pumps in 2022. That means Las Vegas can keep getting water, 
even though Lake Mead has dropped more quickly than most people imagined. Amazingly, Nevada's straw goes deeper than the level the lake needs to be at to generate power at Hoover Dam or push water to other states. So even if the dam can't make power and California and Arizona can't get water from Lake Mead, Vegas is going to be okay, at least for a while. Which really makes this one of the most water secure communities in the desert southwest. For Colby, making that a reality is about much more than her job or herself. She's thinking about her kids' future here. Yeah, do you think it's going to be possible for them to live their whole lives in this city like you have? Absolutely. So Las Vegas and Southern Nevada spent a billion and a half dollars to get water from deeper in Lake Mead. Vegas has also had to aggressively reduce how much water it uses. I'll tell you that story on another episode. Even though Las Vegas made sure it can keep pulling water from Lake Mead, that doesn't mean the rest of the region can keep relying on the savings account. The old systems people set up to move water to make all the growth in the West possible aren't going to be enough anymore. Change is coming quickly. The age of plentiful water is over. We have been overusing the Colorado River for a significant period of time, and at least since 2000. We don't have years of storage left on the river. You know, I think we have about one to two years max if we get a dry, you know, mediocre or really dry years. Colby and her boss in Southern Nevada call this a moment of reckoning for all of us, from Wyoming to Mexico. We can continue to bury our heads in the sand, and eventually there just won't be water to deliver. Uh, we don't <laughs> we don't get to decide who wins. Mother Nature does. If we if we don't adapt, people are going to be out of water. If we do adapt, we're going to find a way to continue to sustain life the way we have. If we can come together and have the foresight to think of how much better things will be 10 or 15 years from now, if we think really hard and do the really tough things and sometimes expensive things, I think we can continue to have a resilient Colorado River. For decades, the people in charge of our water have tried to save us from the point we're at now. They've held a lot of meetings where they end up disagreeing about who gets how much water and who needs to cut back. You've seen the headlines. From all of those meetings, not enough has changed. Because we're here now, using more water than we can afford to. And the river keeps getting lower with climate change. The good news is, we can choose to save ourselves and our region Over this series, we'll take you through solutions, the types of things people in charge could embrace. Some aren't engineering level big. There's stuff you and I can do. We've been waiting for two years for these units to come in and it's been like holding our breath. This thing just arrived at my house today for the first time, so it makes me feel like things are happening. (laughs) 
We're going to see up-close decisions that our cities and states and tribes can make. We are on a barge, and we are now floating out onto the waters of the Bellagio Fountain. And there are big things that we would need the federal government to lead on. People think that there are crazy ideas, but it's not so crazy whenever you're looking at your water faucet being turned off. Part of figuring out what solutions to pursue is understanding how we got into this mess. That was the thought. We'll build these gargantuan facilities. We're going to tame nature. We're going to show it how we're going to manage. What did that do to the you know, other opportunities you know, for Native Americans? We continue to be an afterthought and hope but maybe we would go away. Next time, two people, a member of the Hickory Apache Nation and a descendant of Mormon colonizers, give us a fuller picture of what's needed to fix this water crisis. Hey, it's Michael. Thanks for listening to Parched. I have another show I know you'll love. Ghost Train is about an ambitious plan for commuter rail in Colorado, how it got sidetracked, and where Denver and other cities might go from here. It's a question facing cities across the country. Find Ghost Train wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Alpine Bank. 50 years young, 20 years green. Proud to support Parched from Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about Alpine Bank's history of community service and its green team at alpinebank.com.